G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au. You will fail. You will. How do I know? Because you're in the flesh. And at that point, the devil will come in and he will try to make you feel guilty. And he will say to you, oh, you're worthless. You can't even do that. And at that point, you have the choice of how you're going to respond. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. You make me Today. Today. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. My name is Bill, and in this episode, we'll be reminded that when we have surrendered our lives to Christ, we sign our lives over to God to mold and shape. Pastor Jeff is asking Do our lives look any different? Have we moved towards holiness? He'll be looking at Philippians chapter 3, if you want to prepare and turn there in your Bible. Here's Pastor Jeff with today's message. Philippians chapter 3. When I was in high school, I was uh, toward the end of my junior year, and there was this blonde-headed kid that came in as a freshman, uh, a little bit overweight. Uh, Not very athletic, but he had an extraordinary goal. His goal was to be the first Elizabethan cyclone on the basketball team to dunk a basketball. Now you say, my goodness, Jeff, how long ago was this? Now, today, a dunk in a high school basketball game is almost commonplace. For some reason, the athletes keep getting bigger and stronger and take more steroids or creatine or whatever, and they're just, they look like men today. But back in the late 70s and early 80s, I mean, we were still just little guys and we believed that the harder you work out with the weights, we didn't take any drugs or any steroids, that you would improve. Well, this guy, Keith Turner, wanted to be the first to dunk a basketball and everything was against him. His height, his athletic ability or lack of it, everything. But he was determined that he was going to be the first one. So here's what he would do. After we had practice or run around the track or hours lifting weights and then three or four hours in the gym and I had a very difficult coach. He was like a military man. He just about killed us. But even after we were worn out from practice, Keith Turner, beginning his freshman year, would go get a ladder out of the athletic department and he would climb that ladder and take a piece of athletic tape and tape it to the top of the backboard. 
Well, actually, in the beginning, just above the piece of rubber that protects you if you hit your head there, but just a piece of tape right above the rubber piece on the backboard. And he would jump and try to touch that tape 10 times in a row. I guess he thought that if he could jump that 10 times in a row, that he could just move it up and keep moving up till eventually it would be high enough to where he would jump high enough to be able to dunk a basketball. And that was his plan. Now, what we all stood around as juniors and seniors, what we did is we laughed at him because there's a part of you that you do not want someone to succeed and accomplish the extraordinary because that makes you look really bad, especially if he has no athletic ability. But week after week, month after month, we would come and kind of belittle him. Well, I wouldn't. I would just listen. But <laughs> they would put the piece of tape, and we noticed over time that piece of tape kept climbing just a little bit. He would touch the tape 10 times. When he could do that, he would raise it just a little bit more, and then he would try to run and touch it 10 times. Now, sometimes the piece of tape, after it made its next move, would stay there for weeks, sometimes months. But that's what he would do. And it was quite hilarious, and we would indeed ridicule him. But his sophomore year, and near the end of my year, the beginning of his junior year, when I'm about to graduate, we all noticed the tape had climbed pretty high. And so we're over in a regional tournament. It's my last game as a senior. I get a rebound in the regional tournament. I square up, hold the ball high, just like I've been taught, and look for the outlet pass. And I see Keith Turner at half court. I throw the ball to half court, he receives it, and everyone on our team knew what was about to happen. It was like the greatest Howard Cosell scenario ever. It's either going to be the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. Now, we were playing on the road, so the other team, they didn't know what was up. They just saw it, another outlet pass, another fast break, another layup. But we turned and we watched, and it was like time stood still. Now, evidently, over two and a half years, Keith Turner had grown a bit, but he still wasn't that tall. He had gotten a little bit more athletic, but he still wasn't that athletic, but we knew he had worked very hard. What is, what's it going to be? So he takes the ball and he starts dribbling. He's past half court. He's near the free throw line. Again, we're not even following him. We're just watching what's going to happen. And Keith Turner takes that final big dribble, goes up with two hands over the rim and slams the ball so hard that they had to stop the game to try to realign the goalpost. <laughs> we went crazy. Even the opposing fans, they didn't care that he was on the other team. They just went ballistic. They were shouting, turn, turn. They loved the guy. A dunk in a high school game, a rarity. We on his team didn't know whether we should rejoice or cry because we knew the hard work that had gone into achieving that extraordinary feat. And that hard work continued in his life. He received the full scholarship to Tennessee Tech University and had a great basketball career. I want you to take that illustration and I want to just set it right over here because we're going to come back in a second and hook it. But there it is, okay? Now you and I know the one thing. We know the one thing that our life is about. The day that you surrendered your life to Christ and you said that he was your savior, remember what we said? You forfeit all rights and privileges other than what belonged to you in the kingdom of God. Your life is not your own. It now belongs to God. That's why we call this living dangerously because in some respect, it's incredibly risky. 
Because God uses analogies like this to describe what he's going to do in your life. The potter and the clay. He's going to shape and form you and sand down the rough edges. And then he uses the the gardener and the pruning shears to prune the branches, to cut it back to the growth point so that it can flourish and produce and grow even more. God is so committed that he is going to transform you from the inside out, that that's what he wants to be, your primary passion. That today, you can honestly look at me and say, Jeff, my Bible reading is far more intense today than it was five years ago. Jeff, my intimacy with God is far greater today than it was five years ago. Jeff, my pursuit of holiness and purity in my life is far more intense and greater today than it was five, ten years ago or when I first came to Christ. That Jeff, I am moving forward at a fast pace. But the reality is, most of you in this room are not going to be able to say that. You're going to say, to tell you the truth, Jeff, I don't know if I've made any progress. It's like two steps forward, three steps back. I'm still not any more forgiving now than I was then. I don't give any more grace or extend any more grace now than I did then. I'm still fighting with this habit in my life that I was fighting when I came to Christ. I still have the same old junk in my life, the same old temptations, the same old struggles. Jeff, I don't feel like I'm growing at all. I thought you said that God was molding and shaping and forming. I don't feel like I've been shaped or formed. There is a phenomenal man by the name of Paul, who's the greatest Christian we all know, who lived that same life for most of his ministry life. It was only near the end that he discovered the truth of how one can move from the mediocre Christian life that God detests, that God did not call us to live, to that productive life where he's more meaningful, where God is more intense in our lives, where the relationship is growing, where we are catapulting, quantum leaping the circumstances and the difficulties in our life to the point where, where we are living the Christian life, the abundant life, and we're making progress every day. And this is what he writes. It's in Philippians 3. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In effect, Paul answers the question, how can we live the extraordinary Christian life? where we're growing, producing, moving forward, defeating the old habits, defeating the old temptations, and growing in our relationship with Christ. And he gives us three characteristics. The first is this. You've got to ask yourself, are these things in my life? Number one, people who are living the extraordinary life are always raising the mark. They are always raising the mark. Every time I read what Paul says in verse 12, he says, not that I have already attained it, but I press on. You know what the Greek word is? Dioko. Do you know what it means? Reaching for the tape. Paul says, if I'm going to get over this mediocre life, I've learned a lesson. I've continually got to be pressing and raising the mark, raising the bar. Now, before you discount this, let me just give you a little illustration to sustain this. Mother Teresa, again, great strides in mercy and compassion, 
Winner of the Nobel Peace Prize. Helping the poorest of the poor in the streets of Calcutta for most of her life. Let me read to you a journal entry that she wrote near the very end of her life. She writes this. May I truly obey you starting today to be a courier of your love and your grace to a hurting world because up to now, I've really done nothing. And then it dawned on me, this is the characteristic of an extraordinary life. With every new day, they have a fresh new passion, a fresh new desire, a never-ending passion to raise the level of excellence in their life. They never stop to relentlessly pursue God's very best for their lives. They just keep raising the mark, no matter how many failures, no matter how many obstacles, every day is a day they keep raising the mark. As a matter of fact, to illustrate this best of all, how many of you, well, you probably don't want to answer this question. Think about it in your mind. How many of you were around after World War II? Some of you. Well, actually, I guess we all are around after World War II. Uh, How many of you were around just after World War II? How about that? If you'll recall, there was a time in America that if you picked up anything and underneath it said made in Japan, you automatically thought it was junk. Any toy, any good, well, that's junk. Because after the Second World War, Japan's economy was in disarray. America sent in their best quality control expert, Dr. Edward Edwards Deming. And this is what he said to the economist of Japan. He said, if you will improve something about yourself and your product every day and make quality, not something that's like a threshold that you grab and hold on to, but make improving or quality just part of your DNA, just part of your genetic makeup, and you just improve something every day about yourself and about your product or what you produce or what you do, here is the promise. If you'll do that, then in 10 years, you'll turn the economy of Japan around, and in 30 years, you will be a world power economically. If you know the rest of the story, Japan bought it hook, line, and sinker, and in 30 years became one of the world's most effective and productive economies. Here is my question to you. If Japan can do that for their economy, how much more can you and I do that for God's purposes coming to fruition in our lives? To just raise the bar a little bit, just a little bit. To not say, I gotta pray an hour every day, but just start praying for five minutes, just five minutes. I can't read a chapter a day. I don't have that time. How about just reading two verses every day to pick one person that you need to forgive, just one, and forgive them, to invest in just one person. You see, there's the reality that most of us see where we are and where we need to be, and the gap is so large that we're intimidated, so we just decide to give up altogether. When greatness is achieved little by little, the Africans had a proverb. I loved it. It was written, I think, by the women who would have to go out and carry this large bundle of sticks on their heads to come in and have firewood to cook for the mills and to warm their family. And the African proverb goes like this, little by little makes a bundle. And you see these African women with an enormous amount of weight of sticks on their head trying to take care of their families, walking for mile after mile after mile. Little by little makes a bundle. My goodness, some of you, I just gotta tell you, You know who you are. Some of it, you just need to change something. You've been stuck for so long in the place that you are now, it's like you're living the life of mediocrity 
but you think by doing nothing to change it, somehow your situation will change. I mean, some of you just, just comb your hair differently, change your deodorant, do anything, anything. Just get out of the level of mediocrity. And little by little can make a bundle. You start praying a little bit. You start reading your Bible just a little bit. Make one effort to become holy and pure in one area. And one day you'll wake up after you set the tape a little higher and a little higher and you'll find that all of us have a slam dunk down deep inside. You know, think about it for a moment. The busyness of life has sucked the life out of so many of us. You need to go back to the way it used to be. You can recall when God was working in a dynamic way in your life. And I'll tell you what you're going to find out. You're going to find out it's connected with you had that very private place that you used to go and talk to God. For me, it was a big old tree in Africa. And I was young. And you know, when you're young, you're arrogant, aren't you? And I would say to God, I, I love that time sitting under that tree and reading my Bible and praying and I remember saying to God, God, do whatever you have to do in me to make me into the person you want me to become. That's a big mistake. <laughs> well, it's not really, but sometimes it feels that way because he'll do it. But I remember even though life was tough in many ways in those days, that I yearned to sit under that tree and to talk to God and to just raise the bar and raise the mark little by little, day after day, trying to be the person God wants me to become. And the reality is there are so many of you in this room, you need to go find the tree again. You need to go find that place again. Because God's not going to leave you alone. Francis Thompson called him the hound of heaven. And he wants you to be moving all the time toward conformity to the image of his son, purity and holiness in your life so that you can be the city on the hill that cannot be hidden. And if you give up and stop raising the bar, that doesn't mean it's going to be easier I think God is going to thrust you into circumstances that make you incredibly uncomfortable till finally one day you wake up and say, I've got to start raising the bar again. I am not becoming who God wants me and needs me to become. Now, here's the reality. I promise you, if you do this, if you walk out of here today and you say, you know what? He's right. I'm going to read two verses tomorrow during lunch hour. I'm going to pray just for 10 minutes tomorrow. I'm just going to start with 10, maybe even five. Here's what'll happen. You'll do it for about a week and then you will fail. You'll do it again. You will. How do I know? Because you're in the flesh. And at that point, the devil will come in and he will try to make you feel guilty. And he will say to you, oh, you're worthless. You can't even do that. And at that point, you have the choice of how you're going to respond. Do you know that that is not coming from the Holy Spirit to make you feel guilty because all guilt's been removed. We therefore stand in no condemnation. We are right with God. But the devil will try to tell you that you've blown it, you've failed, you'll never be a good Christian, so just give up while the Spirit will prompt you, no, keep raising the bar, keep trying. You will fail, but keep trying. That's why the Apostle Paul writes the second characteristic of an extraordinary life when he says this, that extraordinary people living the extraordinary life consistently forget past failures. If you raise the bar, you will have seasons when you will fail. There were times when Keith Turner would raise that piece of tape on the backboard and it would be weeks, if not months, before he could touch it 10 times in a row, but he'd learned a lesson. You keep reaching for the mark and not allow failures to debilitate you, 
to stifle future progress. Here's what Paul says, interestingly enough. In Romans chapter 7, verse 15, he says, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. So in Romans, Paul is still focusing on the past, but he's learning a lesson so that in Philippians chapter 3, five years later, after having spent two years in a Roman prison and having a lot of time to contemplate, he comes to the conclusion that thinking about the past is counterproductive. So he writes this, now here's what I do. Forgetting what lies behind, I continue to reach for the tape. Folks, the reality is, if you set the bar higher and you get a devotional plan or a prayer plan, and you're gonna do this, or you're gonna talk to this person about Christ, you're gonna take some risk, you're gonna give, you're gonna serve, even though it's risky and it feels dangerous, you're gonna raise the bar, you're gonna have moments of failure. And if you have a pity party and you feel sorry for yourself, then you will settle for the mediocre life. Do you know, now stay with me, do you know I have met so many people along my way of ministry that simply stop risking, because here's the way they think, if I don't take risk, then I won't fail. So I'd rather just live here in this mediocre, mundane life. But at least that way, I don't have to face failure. Now, you, you kind of look at that and think, that's kind of weird, but all of us have a little bit of that in us, don't we? We do. Let me give you an example. When Robin and I were in New Zealand, she wanted to go to Hong Kong. She had heard that the shops stay open all night in Hong Kong. <laughs> do you know that's true? They just bring the goods right out on the street. If you've ever been, you can walk downtown and shop all night. Shop till you drop. And it's safe. Now, you know why? Because if you get caught stealing, they'll just string you up right there. Now, take that for what it's worth, but it's an incredibly safe city. Now, Robin and I had been walking through the city probably three or four hours, and I'm getting hungry, but I'm on foreign soil. So I don't know what to eat. That's a hard thing for a young guy. And we smell all these aromas coming out of all this Asian food, and it just smells wonderful. And Robin keeps saying, hey, let's eat here. And I'll say, no, no, we don't know what that's like, Rob. We don't know. There might be something in it. She goes, oh, come on. It smells great. I said, no, can't do that. So, I mean, we just pass one good smell after the next because I'm not sure what's in there. And then we see the golden arches. <laughs> The kingdom has come. <laughs> and I say, look, Rob, McDonald's. She goes, you hate McDonald's. I said, I know, but at least that way I won't be disappointed because I know it's bad and I'll just eat it. <laughs> and she said, what? I said, well, honey, I know McDonald's is bad, so I'll go eat it and I'll know it's bad. I won't be disappointed. But if we eat something over here, then I might be expecting something good. It might be really bad and then I'll be disappointed. This way I avoid disappointment. She said, You're, you've got to be the craziest husband on the face of the earth. I said, that might be true, but we're going to McDonald's. And we went to McDonald's and it was bad, but I was okay with it. <laughs> Let me tell you what Eileen Gruder says about this whole scenario. She says this, you can live on bland food so as to avoid an ulcer. Drink no tea, coffee, or other stimulants. Go to bed early. Stay away from nightlife. Avoid all controversial subjects so as to never give offense. Mind your own business. Avoid involvement in other people's problems. Spend money only on necessities and save all you can. And you can still break your neck in the bathtub and it'll serve you right. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Failure is part of life. It's the way life is lived. And you can stop risking, but you'll stop living. And you'll never be the city on the hill that cannot be hidden. You'll never achieve greatness or the extraordinary life 
Sooner or later, you've got to walk out of this building and say, okay, that was a good sermon. I think I'll do something. I'll read my Bible. I'll try to grow. I'll set the tape higher. And even though I fell, I'm going to remember what Jeff says. So what? Welcome to the real world. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. You think that if you go out and get more stuff, that's why you're so worried. We're so worried about the economy and the price of gas because we think all that makes us happy. And you know what God does? God does the same thing as He illustrates in the parable of the prodigal son. He lets you dig around long enough in the pig trough till finally, hopefully, you'll realize that real contentment and joy is found at home with the Father. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.